Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So with the mindfulness bell, we move into that silent place within ourselves. And we hear those lovely lyrics, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So we hold that in our heart. And we make a conscious decision to offer the love that we are to the world. In our revealing service, someone shared that moments in life are revealed like a bubble. You may say a memory bubble. And so we're sitting here in this sanctuary in a bubble of love, a bubble of light, a bubble of transformation. This is the moment the Lord has made. Could we rejoice and be glad in it? I hear Thich Nhat Hanh in my heart, who says all of life is a transmission. He said, there's a transmitter, there's a receiver, and then there is that which is transmitted. And so in this sacred moment, I feel the transmission from each one of you, offering the love that you are to this bubble that we're creating together. And there's really nothing to do other than to be here now and to experience the sacredness of it. We're not here to manipulate it. We're not here to deny it. We're here to experience it. We're here to embrace it as it embraces us. All of life is a transmission. I'm wearing a scarf that was knitted for me this Christmas by a young lady who shared that every stitch she put into it was a prayer and a love. She's compromised right now with her husband in the hospital. And so I put it on this morning so that I could feel the love that she transmitted into this scarf so that it's holding me as I'm holding her in my heart. So there's nothing complicated to love. Love is holding us. Love is what we are. And as I love to share this little saying that I live by, acknowledges that divine love brings together, it brought us all here today, and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. So divine love is orchestrating our lives if we allow it to. We trust that there is something so loving in charge 
that I don't have to manipulate anything, but I can just trust and allow and enter every moment where love is leading the way and the law, spiritual law, is making the way possible. This is the dance that we get to do eternally. And it starts in this sacred moment. So we allow time to collapse. The past is gone. The future doesn't exist other than a fantasy of the mind. And we enter into this sacred moment with our receptors open so that we can tune into the universe, so that we can tune into this cosmic love, this cosmic mind, this life that is the one life, not mine and yours, but the one life spirit and we are all sharing in this worldly phenomenon we are all each other there's only one life that life is god's life that life is perfect that life is my life now and so we rest in that bubble of awareness the one life is waking up it's breathing consciously It's letting go effortlessly. Uh, And then we can say, as Thich Nhat Hanh coined over my head in that lovely little calligraphy, I have arrived. I am home in this sacred moment. And when you're ready, open your eyes and choose to be here now. I see you like a bubble now. It's really crazy. After Nancy shared her psychological malady. She said the world exists in bubbles to her, and as everybody was sharing, I went right into that mental equivalent, and I was seeing bubbles all around me in that classroom. And then I heard, I guess it's Don Ho, that sang Tiny Bubbles, for your edification, Tiny Bubbles. So when we begin to see the world differently, there's a wonderful poster in the classroom bookstore, slash, it says, when you change the way you look at things, well, then the things you look at change. So instead of looking out and seeing the world as a problem, could we look out and see the world as going through a growth experience, an evolutionary experience? And we are all evolving and growing. And as we evolve, spirit evolves. Because as spirit would evolve out of this old way of thinking, like a patriarchal God that would judge, summon, praise others, when that God falls away, well, what do you have? You don't have a celestial God that's like a Santa Claus you begin to re-examine what would mm, this higher power be like in my existence. And then if you're blessed like Adam and I were, a Thich Nhat Hanh comes into your life and he would use phrases like we enter are, that this is all one, this is the one life experiencing itself. And he would talk about the one practice is to walk mindfully through this life where every step is a sacred step honoring the sacredness of our own planet the sacredness of one another. So then it's not a hierarchical God that doesn't have you know, the powers that be and then the lowly ones in the dust. No, no, no. We're all mm, tuning in to this something that is always there. And you know, when we were little, we knew it. I was sharing with my prayer partner who was a monk that left the monastery when he became gay and then found this teaching and he's been a minister for many years. And he had to go through this evolution out of the idea of sin and judgment and the old God had to go. And so he's speaking in Vancouver this Sunday about love. 
And we were talking about when we were young in the Christian church, both of us were raised on a song that said, Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm a little tiny boy. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak and he is strong. So I grew up with, yes, Jesus loves me, but the institution condemns you. Yes, Jesus loves me, but you're an abomination in God's eyes. The Bible tells me so. And we both were kind of laughing at, we started off in this bubble of love, but then when we were institutionalized, well, we were told that you are love, but it's conditional. You know, it's conditional that you have to obey and not commit sins. And what one man's sin is another man's joy. And so you get confused if you're a little boy growing up in the Midwest, in Omaha, Nebraska. All you Omaha ones who have issues, raise your hands. <laughs> That's my girlfriend back there. And you know, it's perfect. And you know how it's perfect? Because it was. And so when we can embrace the life that we've been given, not condemn it, and then see where were they mistaken along the way. What did I have to go through in order to evolve to this place of awareness? My prayer partner has a young uh, uh, love in his life, and he was raised in the Muslim tradition, I think from Jordan or Syria, one of those countries. And for him to come out of the closet as a young Muslim Syrian, he's going to have to blow a lot of people's minds in his family. So he said, would you pray for Jason? Because he's struggling with, can he be himself, who he authentically is, or does he have to deal with his family, which condemns him from the get-go? And so he says, can you pray that he'll be at peace through all this? And I said, you know, when we make a shift out of something that doesn't work into something that has the potential to expand us, oftentimes things get worse before they get better. So much of what embracing a greater idea is we have to let go of a toxic idea. And when you let go of a toxic idea, then you create space, which so many people are afraid of, where you then get to see where was I resisting all that stuff that made me suffer. And when I stop resisting it, well, then I can open to it. It kind of comes in. Today I'm speaking about the, um, the poverty of the heart. And you know, I wrote these titles months ago and I thought, what was I thinking when I wrote The Poverty of the Heart? And I quoted the first beatitude, which says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall reap the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit is someone who doesn't have all the answers. In fact, they're teachable. They don't have all their conclusions set. This is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. No, the poor in spirit say, I don't know. And you know, I don't know is a beautiful place to be, Jean Anne, but something greater than me does. So could I open to that something greater, Anastasia, who knows about divine love? You don't have to figure it out, I promise you. Then you don't have to think about it. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to share it. You just open to divine love. And then what does divine love? Divine love creates this big space where we get to live from. Wow, that space is kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Because you have to go with uncertainty, Miss Gigi. You know, we don't know what's going to happen to this little saint that's sitting next to you holding your hand. But we know that he's in a state of grace. He's my bubble by, my bubble grace guy. I was sharing with Raul. I was sitting in a chapel at a Selimar, um, it's just a spiritual retreat, when my phone rings and I go outside. And it's someone who was staying at my house while I was at the spiritual conference. And he said, your roof just collapsed. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, I'm staying here and your roof just collapsed. I said, well, call the insurance. The insurance wouldn't do anything. So Nancy Schramm, the one that admitted this, and him were cleaning up the roof collapsing at my house when I came home. And the insurance wouldn't cover anything, like they wouldn't cover it when the pipes burst here. I love insurance companies, how they just say, well, pre-existing something. And 
So, okay, without any funding from the insurance company, we had an architect out and we redesigned the whole upstairs and we always wanted a little deck off the bedroom. So we built this deck and Trey even got a, a railing handmade. So this beautiful railings around it with beautiful tiles. And of course the rain came in on that deck and one tile was starting to sink. And so my friend Alberto came over yesterday and he took the one tile up, but the whole thing is rotten. So now the whole deck is being exhumed. And so all day long, I'm watching my house come apart again. And I'm just smiling, knowing this too is good, this too is God, and this too is for me, and I'll, I'll see the blessing. He, said, he promised that he'd have it done by Wednesday afternoon. I have never seen such a mess from one little tile. Now, could we know that sometimes the mess gets bigger before the healing happens? I'm just saying. So if your mess gets a little bit bigger, just breathe. You're in process. And then you get to go to this place that I found recently, just yesterday, a place of trust. I trust Alberto impeccably. And I said, you know, I'm so sorry, Alberto. I thought this was a simple replacing a tile job. And he said, David, you never know what kind of a mess you're going to get into when you start working on these things. I said, thank you, Alberto. I said, you know, you're a very wise man. So when this stuff happens in our lives that we think is overwhelming, could we step back into that and say, that's helping the mm, poverty of my heart open to what is. I keep my heart open even in the midst of hell. So I pulled out my lovely book, The Endless Practice by Mark Nepo. This man has survived cancer twice and his whole message is about embracing the journey as your practice. And sometimes in the journey, the ones you love are gonna just fall dead. A lot of people, you know, Nancy Porter, she said, She's been texting me. She said, my husband's been in so much pain. He was a professional skier. He loved the slopes. So they retired at a place where he could go skiing every day. And he's a younger man than I am. And he was feeling ill and he didn't want to go to the doctors. He went to the doctors and they diagnosed cancer, but they didn't know how severe it was. It's cancer of the spine. So he has a difficult time moving. So skiing is no longer an option for him. And she texted me just two days ago. She said he went to get up and his knees were so weak that he collapsed and fell on top of her. She broke the fall with her body. And then she dials the 911 and she texts me from the emergency room. Again, life giving you one of those growth experiences. Can you meet it in a kind of a sacred way? Okay, this is the moment the Lord has made for me. Could I open to it and find the grace in it? I'm coming up on the anniversary, my fifth anniversary of my heart attack it was on March 12th when I was 69 and I'm 60, 75. So I guess it's six years, yeah, this March 12th. And you know, it was one of the greatest gifts for you who are recovering from a stroke. When we recover and we're still alive, I remember when I came out of the procedure, the woman in the recovery room said, the nurse, you're not supposed to be here. And I said, what? She said, you had the widow maker and only 2% survive. Well, I said, thank you, but that's a little too much information at this point right now. And, but you know, now every day is sacred to me. Did, that, did it take a heart attack? I don't know. Adam had a bleed. He was kind of like me. And you know, through grace, he waddled in here one Sunday and he found a spiritual home and I haven't been able to get rid of him since. So what if when these things happen in our lives, they're here as course corrections, so that we can assess what is it that isn't working perhaps, so I can open to something that might embrace. So Mark, let me give you a little Mark Nepo, he's so good. He has a chapter called The Sweet Ache of Being Alive. There's something within our heart that aches to experience itself. Could we court that sweet ache of being alive? 
I'm still here. I'm looking forward to the rest of my life. Every day is sacred now. I don't think I had that attitude six years ago, but I sure do now. So here's what he says. When the sweet ache of being alive lodged between who you are and who you will be is awakened, well then befriend that moment. It's taking you out of the me person. It's exactly what's happening to Raoul and it's taking him into his connection with source. He's right there with the beloved. The beloved's with him every moment and he knows it. He said in our revealing service, I'm closer to the oneness than I've ever been. So the cancer wasn't a bad thing. You've had three and a half years of divine love working on you with the human love also working on you and he knows it. So befriend this moment and it will guide you. Its sweetness is what holds you and its ache what is what moves you on. Its sweetness is what holds you and its ache is what moves you on. The sweet ache of simply being alive. We're all still here. You know, I was a young man in the 80s in ministerial school when the AIDS crisis hit. And the, the church in Atlanta was a large gay population. And it's so funny. You know how all those gay men found out about it? In the gay bars, they would have these little rag newspapers. And they'd say, if you want to find out who you are, go to the Center for Spiritual Living. And so they would show up on Sundays. Well, that's when the crisis hit. And I was in a relationship for 50 years. And so all these young men were dying of AIDS. And every, I can't count the number of young men I've held in my arms and hospiced into the light. And so those, those things can take a, 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 affect you. Because now I, all the grief that I had, didn't grieve back then, now I, I'll cry at anything. You know, you show me, you talk about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and you brought tears to my eyes, Susan, when you were talking about uh, John Boy being Atticus Finch. I remember John Boy when he was boy. Now he's an old man, isn't he? Holy cow. Time does pass. So the sweet ache of being alive, it's the threshold where who you are is falling away and who you are meant to be is beginning to emerge. And sometimes it takes a two by four, a heart attack, a brain, brain bleed. You never know what it's going to take to wake us up on this planet. So she, he was on to say, we each experience a sweet ache in being alive. And he says, this sweet ache is the tuning fork of our soul. Did you hear that, Raul? It's the tuning fork of your soul. It's calling us to go into this soul awareness. We're teaching this lovely class on being a soul, having a human experience. Now the soul is deathless and eternal. So we're having a human experience and that's where all the pain and suffering exists because we have attachments, we have projections, we have expectations, we have resistance, and those are all pathways to suffering. But when we learn to go into a radical acceptance of life on life's terms, well then when those things come along that create that ache, it's taking us to our soul. So could we go there from the get-go? That's the invitation this Sunday. Let's go into our soul, that jubilant and beholden soul. That's eternal part. So it spoke, speaks to the sweet ache as a tuning fork for the soul. It's how I know I'm close to what matters. And it act, in actuality, this deep and nameless ache in the presence of beauty and suffering has been my steadfast teacher and my friend all along, Ashley. That suffering has been your friend all along and she's beginning to befriend it. And she's no longer suffering and no longer resisting. And when these symptoms come up, she's meeting them with a smile. Oh, I know you. I'm familiar with you. How can I be kind and gentle with myself as yet again I go through another experience at a human level knowing that I'm an eternal soul having this experience? That shift is worth its weight in gold, Jeremy. When you make that shift, you're no longer resisting life. So he goes on to say, I keep wondering 
What is it about emptiness that scares all of us? It's like when you lose everything and you fall into this empty place where you think everything is gone. And then he says, could I not resist the emptiness but sh shed a light on that emptiness? What is it trying to show me? Hmm. I keep wondering, what is it about this emptiness that scares all of us? And yet emptiness is nothing more than the vastness and the spaciousness of the universe calling us to say yes. That spaciousness is right there in the midst of our resistance. So then you take a deep breath and you give a sigh for the divine as Hildegarda Bingen said, ah, this too is good. This too is for me and I demand to see the blessing. And then you wait and you listen and you're attentive and you begin to see it's not a bad thing. It's a thing. Judy and Hank have been going through some physical challenge. Hank, I mean, I've got the same thing with my little pug. Oh, there's Hank. I got the same thing with my little pug. You know, he's so compromised and every day he becomes more and more my guru. You know, he, oh, anyway, not going to go on that. He, he says, this is him speaking again. When we dig a hole or a hole is dug within us, we become preoccupied with all that is unearthed. I'm thinking of my deck right now that Alberto's cleaning out. We even try to put it all back, put the dirt back in the hole that we've excavated. But he says, but the empty depth that is created when all of that stuff is emptied out, the empty death is waiting for us truly to shine a light within it and to take another look. When everything falls away and you have awareness that's left, could we take that sacred awareness and begin to reflect on this life that we've been given and allow that sweet ache that's occurring, and we all have it, take us into our soul so that the soul can respond, the soul can teach us, the soul can show us the way. When um, Barbara's daughter made her transition very similar to my twin, it's funny, they come to me and they, tell me, they say, I'm still here, I'm just not in my body. So could we evolve to that place of awareness where we know that we are eternal beings and we're having a human experience. And when we start meeting at that soul level, can you imagine the bubble we're creating? A bubble of soul, a bubble of light, a bubble of opportunity. And then we trust that divine love is gonna bring us those people who belong to us. We don't have to marry them and have it forever. You know, it doesn't have to be forever. I don't see any one of you spending eternity with me, and yet maybe you will. But in this sacred moment, we get to inner spirit. We get to have this dance. Heart to heart. So um, he goes on to say ways that can take you into this uh, sacred place. And he quotes that famous statement that says, my barn burned down and now I can see the moon. With that lovely little question, he says, where is the barn in your life? What needs to burn down so that you can see things more clearly? And the barn represents this identity that we have, this belief system that we have, this uh, place that we're creating our frame of reference. And when that falls apart, anybody have their barn burned down? That means a relationship end or a job. And you think you don't have anything? You have that space out of which a new life gets to emerge. Now I can see the moon. Now I can see the possibility. So we're all given this opportunity countless times in life. Mm. So he goes on to say this. I wrote down Alberto there. I'm going to skip over. Oh, yeah, here's his right one. Um, not every conclusion is worth keeping solid and fixed within our hell. That's the thing that are falling apart, our conclusions. Until we don't see what's before us, our mind keeps planning and it keeps gauging 
It keeps analyzing. It keeps judging what's happening. It tries to put it into some kind of category. Is this good or is this bad? That's what our mind does. It tries to say this is a blessing and this is a catastrophe. Mind loves to put one over here, one over there. And this is dangerous or this is advantageous. And this keeps us from opening our mind and our heart to what's really before us because we want to make some things good and some things bad and they are just what they are. So could we let go of duplicitous thinking, of right and wrong thinking? It's called non-dual thinking. It's all the one. And so when something uncomfortable comes, like we're moving out of our house into another place, that's just a shift. And then we get to meet all our stuff that we get to go through. What a blessing. Trey's got his birthday coming up on the 22nd. and He let me know what he wants for his birthday gift. He wants me to find 10 of my books to, to release and 10 pieces of apparel to release. He's big on throwing things out. And I said, you know, that's a hell of a birthday gift to ask from someone. <laughs> get rid of your books and get rid of your... Not every conclusion is worth following. Okay, that's his conclusion. We all do this, he says. Mark Nepo says, I do this. And so the importance of developing a personal practice of simply being open through which we empty what we carry so that we can be present to the first thing that we see in life. It's not about yesterday's idea of what this life should have looked like. It's not about some future idea that we're projecting into mind. But it's about knowing that this sacred moment is going to give you glue on your garage floor that won't come up. I'll get Alberto to come and help you. It'll take three days. But that's grace. And as Alberto said, you never know what you're going to get when you pull up the carpet. Boy, did we find that out. All the tiles are still there on the roof. He took the fence down off the deck. It's sitting on the garage. And there's a big hole in my deck. And um, Trey said, what's that all about? I said, I don't know. But I trust Alberto. We all do this. I do this. The importance of developing a personal practice of openness through which we empty what we carry so that we can be present to the first things that we see. And because the beauty and the sanctity of life is in every single moment, if we can empty what clouds our judgment, what clouds our vision, what clouds our opinions, if we can empty that out, what worries our minds and what weighs down our heart, well, then we have the possibility to spread our wings and to discover something that is so much greater than our resistance to what that was. You know, I'm loving watching Ashley just blossom. She has this whole new awareness that's flowering within her, and she knows it's up to her to water the roots of this new way of looking at life because she's uprooted the roots of suffering. She's no longer feeding the roots of suffering. She's feeding the roots of acceptance and playfulness and awareness, and they begin to flower through love. That's the poverty of the heart. When we don't let love lead the way, when we let our mind tell us this is wrong, this is right, this is bad, this is good, no. There is no good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So when we open to this heart space, well, then it begins to flower. Lastly, she says, he says, if we can't give in to the courage that it takes and let ourselves feel that sweet ache of being alive, well, then, he says, our wings will never open. So could we know when that ache is coming to have a greater sense of life, it's really moving us into our soul to meet those challenges as opportunities for that shift, for that transformation. And know that divine love is supporting you all the way. Divine love has always been. Divine love brought you here today. Divine love, when I walk into these doors, just like Adam, I feel the love that this space creates. Every plant was brought here by love. It's, there's so many pieces of art all over this church that were all made with love. 
This is the symbol of our teaching over here. The descent of spirit into soul, manifesting as form, and with the heart right at the center. Virginia Burroughs did that. She said the one thing that's wrong with the symbol of this teaching is you don't have a heart there. So she broke the rules and put a heart right in the middle there. This is the symbol of Islam, which is the crescent moon and the star. The star is the light within the heart. And in Islam, they have a, a zikr called la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah. And that is to purify the heart. And they say you say it a thousand times a day, la ilaha illallah. Well, then you realize you're falling into the awakened heart. And that's the symbol of it. The light within the heart, reflecting in the moon, which would be us, the reflection of the light. And then you have the symbol of Islam, which is Om. And then you have the symbol of Buddhism. And then there's a symbol of, of Christianity. But Virginia Burroughs took the Celtic symbol, which is the vertical reality of now, crossing the horizontal reality of time, which is this, that's the symbol. That's not the cross upon which he died. This is an ancient symbol from Sanskrit, the vertical reality, which is now crossing through the continuum of time. And right at the center, you could say there is the heart, right there at the center in the sacred moment. So could we not have poverty of heart, but could we have a wealth and a, and a guidance from the heart? All these symbols, we had this man from India came here and he saw the, these are called the yantras. And in, in Hinduism, they call them yantra, mantra, tantra. The yantras are the symbols which are pointing to that true experience. The mantra is the phrase that you might say, like la ilaha illallah, there's nothing but God, la ilaha, it's a mantra. And tantra is not about sex. Tantra is about merging energy. This is tantric here, two people merging in love. This is tantra, merging in love. This is tantra, what I'm doing with you. The love in me meets the love in you. And this is an energetic thing. They, they turn everything into sex, don't they? Yeah, you could apply it to sex. But when it becomes how you do everything, when I pick up that little pug, it's a tantric experience. When Mary and Terry come to class, um, Terry, he's a strong young man, and I have to carry a lot of books sometimes. So I see him and I said, Terry, will you help me with the pug? He gets over there with so much love. He gets down on his knees and he scoops up. That's a tantric little moment. He holds the pug right to his chest. Humphrey's little tongue is sticking out. He's looking at him with his one eye. And Terry carries him to the car. And he places him so gently in the car. That's tantra. It's, it's an energetic thing of love meeting love. When I look at Herman in the bed with you, that's a tantric experience. So could we have these... More expanded awarenesses. Mark Nepo, not every conclusion is worth. Okay, and if we can't give in to these things, our wings will never open. And lastly, he did a little poem that I wanted to read to you. The Flute of Interior Time. And, you know, this is when things happen that we're uncomfortable, they're not bad. So he says this, if you are never hungry, how can you know the contour of your stomach? So hunger isn't a bad thing. If you are never thirsty, how can you know the edges of your voice? If you are never disappointed, how can you know the reaches of your heart? Boy, he's taking us into that place of, can we meet the moment, even when that moment isn't comfortable? If you are never in doubt, how can you know the ceilings of your mind? If you are never empty, how can you know the fullness of your spirit? And if you are never alone, how can you ever know God? because you meet God in those places where we're alone, all one. You can just take the A-L-O-N-E, add an extra L for love, and divide it, alone becomes all one. So paradoxically, he says, Mark Nebo, it is the emptiness of things that lets us glimpse their full capacity. So there's a wonderful saying, oh, I read it to you before, 
The house is burned down and now I can see the moon. Everything has fallen away, but now I can see potential and hope and something emerging, Miss Ashley. It's coming for you. I can see it in your smile. It's just a shift. Each of us is an instrument that experiences something that hollows us out in order to have our souls release their song. And then like a musician that he is, Bob will appreciate that, he says guitars are hollowed out so they can create music. He said string instruments are hollowed out so they can have music. Drums are hollowed out so they can create the sound. And reed instruments are hollowed out. This is the necessity of emptiness in order to make music. Each of us is an instrument, he says, that experiences this hollowing out experience so that our souls can release their song. So when you're hollowed out by life, when life takes away all the stuff that you thought you couldn't live without, well, then there's a space for something new to claim you. And that's, mm, that's the gift that's waiting for all of us. This is why we look into open hearts of each other and we lose ourselves in each other because we're not alone, because we're all one. We are each other. And that's the heart-to-heart -heart contact. Not the poverty of the heart, but the wealth of the heart. So lastly, he says, it's the canyon opened in the human heart that lets us glimpse universal love that we're capable of. It depends on our capacity to open and to tune in, to be still, to feel. That's why we ring the bell and we invite you to have a direct experience. It's not a concept that you're here to get intellectually. It's a felt experience that you're here to open to. So universal love. So when you give me the honor of looking into your canyon, into your emptiness, we are being truly intimate with one another. Isn't that sweet? When we can meet in the emptiness together, when Nancy and Lee were lying in that gurney in the emergency room all night long, I bet you they weren't thinking a lot of thoughts. They were just holding each other tight, watching each other's breath, and opening to the grace of the moment. Or they could be listening to the screams in the bed all around them. There I see eternity through what you've been through. What greater thing can we share than we meet in our suffering and we find the healing there? So he quotes this lovely little thing. The deeper that sorrow carves into our being, the more joy our being can contain. The more deeply sorrow carves an opening into you, hollows you out, the more deeply you can experience the joy. Barbara has lunch with her granddaughter every first Sunday. But not today. She's in Amsterdam. Oh, she's in Amsterdam. So grandma's going to have to find something else to do. Isn't this why, after great heartache and loss, we come to the cliff of life, of that loss, and now we have a sense of wonder about our place in life as we drop the memories of the past like stones into the unseeable, unseeable bottom of eternity from which we must now get up and return to life. We let go of the narrative of all that stuff and our history and our history. We throw it into the pit of eternity and now we see now who am I? Who am I? I'm the expression of love revealed. I'm gonna close with a little Sai Baba and then we'll do a nice little treatment. Single blades of grass. I found this this morning at the center and um, this is um, Ellen Grace O'Brien who was a student of Sai Baba her teacher, her guru. And she said, Sai Baba, her guru, encourages us to start the day with love. Live the day with love. And guess what? End the day with love. Whoa, I think that's pretty inclusive. The mystery of love is revealed to us as we live it. No other way. And as we bear witness to the divine light by letting it shine through our thoughts, words, and actions. 
It's all light and it's all love. So could we open to the light and love inherent within us? Once God is found in the temple of our hearts, she says, we find this divine radiance reflected everywhere in the universe. I think there's some little kittens that need a new home and they want a home where there's going to be love and light. Right, Jean Ann? Well, I'm just putting it out there. Once God is found in the temple of the hearts, we find this divine radiance everywhere. We see the one shining in all eyes, and we hear this divine name resounding in every sound, every sound. We discover that there is a logic to love that's guiding our every choice, and this is not the logic of the world. So let go of the world's opinions. My prayer partner is talking about love at the Unity Church in Vancouver, and I shared with him, Rumi says, what you think of love are but subtle degrees of domination and servitude, but true love comes fully formed like the moonlight in the window. And so my prayer partner was saying, so much of what people think of is contractual love. I do for you, you do for me. That's not love. That's kind of a, a sick way of looking at life. True love comes fully formed. It's always there, like the moonlight in the window. So could we open to that, to Sai Baba? He says, we discover that there is a logic to love that's guiding our every choice, and it's not the logic of the world. By the living mystery of divine love, we let our lives unfold with ease and grace. So with that, I'm going to let Jody ring the bell. Divine love leading the way. Even those challenges that we have that create the emptiness in our lives become an opportunity for this nurturing presence, this radiant guidance system to kick in. So our default is love and light. When life falls apart on the outside, we get to fall on the inside into this presence that's holding us. We are held in the hands of grace, forever safe in the arms of love, like a child who needs protection from a mother's warm embrace. We are held in the hands of grace. So we affirm those words. And we feel, we feel held. We feel loved. We feel seen and heard. Maya Angelou was on Oprah Winfrey years ago and she was sharing with Oprah the most transformational moment in her life was when she heard someone say to her, God loves you. And she said, in that one phrase, God loves you, I felt loved. And now she says, I say, I love you. The God in me loves the all of me, even the part of me that seems to be suffering at times and struggling. And so as we simply open to this ubiquitous presence of love, we feel held, we feel nurtured, we feel deeply accepted. We don't have to do something to earn God's acceptance. We are perfect just the way we are, flaws and all. And so we take that mm, energy that we felt here today, letting go of the poverty and claiming the abundance. 
the abundance of divine love flowing through the heart of the one that knows no other, transforming the thoughts of a mind that might be troubled and concerned into a mind that is deeply trusting and accepting and attentive to this experience called life that we all share. What a bubble of light that is. What a bubble of love. So in this bubble of light and love, if there's anyone that you've held out of your heart, I invite you to take them into your heart right now. And just let that same light and love wash all over them. And you feel this interconnectedness, this interbeing that Thich Nhat Hanh spoke about, that we are not separate from one another. And in that, we have the capacity to cultivate the wise heart, the heart that can embrace the world with kindness, a heart that can transform and transmute the roots of suffering by meeting the suffering. Huh. And as we hold the suffering, it has a way of dissolving on its own. We don't have to manipulate it and condemn it. We just need to love it. So breathe in that awareness. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And we are the bringers of love. We are the containers of love. We are the conduits of love. And we open our hearts and our minds and we let it radiate out from us as a field Class, they talk about an ascendant consciousness. And the ascendant consciousness comes when two or more are gathered in a vibration that is coherent. And so this Sunday morning, we are coming together in a vibration of deepest acceptance, of abiding trust, of radiant hope that we can awaken to this sacred space where we don't hold anyone out of our heart anymore. There's so much suffering on the planet. When Navalny made his transition a few days back at age 47, my heart went out to him and to his family. He had the courage to speak his word uh, and it was a word of inclusivity, of transformation, of change. Uh, And so he may no longer be here in form, but his essence endures. And so we get to lend our heart and our well wishes to those on the planet who are suffering and going through transformation, knowing that the good, the God, is emerging on planet Earth. And sometimes it looks disturbing. But deep down, we know that this is how the soul spreads her wings through the sweet ache of being alive. And we are still here to create this bubble of light and love trusting and knowing that everything unfolds with ease and grace if we allow it to. So we smile to the possibilities. We allow a deep gratitude to fill our being, so grateful to have the awareness now that is caused to my experience, no longer bound by an old pattern of control and manipulation. I am no longer the center of my universe, Rather, I'm embracing all as my own self. How sweet it is. And as I work on myself and heal myself, I heal the world. Is it that simple? Oh, I think it is.
that with a deep sigh, ah, the release, we let this go, knowing all is well and all shall be well. And so it is. For listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You create a brand new life.